Welcome to the Learner-Centered Spaces podcast, where we empower and inspire ownership of learning. Sponsored by Mastery Portfolio. Hosted by Star Saxstein and Crystal Frommer. In each episode, we will bring you engaging conversations with a wide variety of educators, both in and out of the classroom. This podcast is created for educators who want to learn more about how to make the shift toward learner-centered spaces for their students, schools, and districts, or education at large. The Learner-Centered Spaces podcast is now a member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Jamie Brown is Assistant Principal at Bluffton High School in South Carolina. He is a champion of student leadership and character education. His passion for promoting student-driven leadership led to the development of the first district-wide peer leadership program in New Jersey public school education. Jamie earned a national promising practice from character.org for Accept University, a three-tiered character education assembly series promoting inclusion, acceptance, empathy, and citizenship in schools. Jamie's career includes working at a state and national school and district of character where he earned teacher of the year. He has served as both a building and district level administrator, collaborating with the New Jersey Department of Education. Jamie is a proud author for Road to Awesome Publishing. We are honored to have Jamie on our show today. Good evening, Jamie. We're so excited to have you on our podcast this evening. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your role, your location, a little bit of your journey and maybe an interesting fact? Sure. Uh, Jamie Brown. I've been in education for over 20 years. I was a New Jersey educator uh, up until three years ago when uh, the pandemic hit and we decided to move down to the low country of South Carolina. So we're in Hilton Head Island. I've been a high school uh, peer leadership coordinator, district peer leadership coordinator for almost 20 years, high school vice principal. I've done some district administration and now I'm back as a high school administrator, like I said, down here in the low country, um, just trying to champion character education, student leadership. That is my passion in life. That is my whole career resume, just trying to help schools and districts really, um, you know, revitalize school cultures through student voice. And uh, I guess the fun fact about me um, that my students find out you know, throughout the process of having me either as a teacher back in the day or an administrator and now brand new to South Carolina here. I'm a professional musician of over 20 years as well. Traveled all over the country and done everything. And uh, I've been doing that uh, pretty much the same time since I became an educator. That's amazing. You and I actually have some similar stories. I did most of my teaching and career in New York, and I've recently moved down to Florida. Um, I am, I did my leadership up in New York too, but while I was doing all of those things as a writing teacher, I was also writing myself and I've written quite a few books and, um, did a Ted talk and my students always kind of followed all the stuff that I was doing and high school was my specialty as well. Like I have a very special place for, um, teenagers and, you know, once you find your niche, it's pretty awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> so basically, we want to know what you think a learner-centered space is. What does it look like, feel like, sound like? 
Um, and with your focus of social emotional learning, how does that all work together? Yeah, for me, I, I think, you know, I really focus, like I said, on that, that character education piece of uh, student-centered learning where you're seeing, hearing, and celebrating students. And I think for me, it's it's been a uh, double-edged sword where, you know, you talk about developing the whole child, you also got to develop the whole teacher. And for me, when I look in a classroom, I look in a building, or I'm in the community, you know, it looks as if everybody's collaborating, working together as a unit, and really, really driven by student voice. I feel like that's what, you know, when you're seeing results and you're seeing that needle move the way it needs to move on all services, obviously starting with academics, which is most important, but, you know, culturally, you know, in a climate perspective and, you know, in a communal perspective, I think that's that's for me the the starting blueprint and just learning how to expand off of that to get the results everybody's looking for. Can you say a little bit more when you say student voice? Like mm -hmm. I think that a lot of us have an idea of what that means, but can you speak to that just a little bit more in the like the cultural the culture building aspect of what you're talking about? Sure. Yeah. So my work is. Um, as an educator back in Jersey for almost 20 years, I was fortunate enough to uh, be a peer leadership teacher and then ultimately um, the head of the peer leadership program for seniors in high school. And then my final piece to the puzzle was turning it into a district-wide leadership program. So for me, what I'm saying, the student voice is what a lot of schools don't have right now and you know that's kind of where my passion lies in trying to create that in getting courses that look almost how like you'd see a JROTC set up in a school at a high school to start where it's an actual course where students are in the classroom receiving credit but learning specifically about real world applications driven through you know the characteristics of leadership as well as the principles of character education and then taking that and then having their voices amplified in the building to, you know, produce results, whether it's, you know, changing, you know, academic drive, um, you know, hitting on, you know, discipline and attendance factors to communal opportunities and with peer leadership, which is what I'm accustomed to um, and trying to push for schools to get and help schools get it's, kind of like the triangle effect that I always said in leadership for students where you have JRTC at a lot of schools, you have student council in a lot of schools and peer leadership is that missing piece that connects them all. And if you get that at a high school level where it's an actual course, like for me, what I did was I worked towards implementing and, and developing my own peer leadership curriculum that got approved and was recognized by the state of New Jersey as, yeah, this is credible for accreditation for students and once that built some traction and it, and it made sense and it was working and they met with you know a senior peer leadership uh, team every single day uh, we were ultimately able to do the same thing in our middle school and I created a middle school peer program where those students took the course got credit and worked their way towards becoming high school peer leaders and then ultimately not for credit but on an elementary level you know my five-year plan when it got to fruition it was creating what I ended up just calling um, character ambassadors at an elementary level. So creating this cycle of student leadership. So 
K-12 and filters through a district, you know, from the beginning of their entrance all the way to their exit at graduation and then cycles back through every single time and repeats itself. And again, everything is student-centered, student-driven and leads to student outcome. Can you, and for our listeners who may not be familiar, can you tell us what JRTC is? Sure. You're talking about, you know, Junior RTC is, is you know, um, <clears throat> military, so to speak, leadership. If someone, uh, typically the, the, the thought is, the misconception is that it's solely for students who want to go into the services, um, which doesn't have to necessarily be true. JRTC can be for students who obviously are looking to go into the services, but may not be sure if they want to, but are also still looking for those leadership skills. Um, you know, I, you know, you see a lot of students, I always call them comeback kids who may have, you know, not done the right thing academically, behaviorally, or both, maybe their first year of high school, second year of high school, and then ROTC can teach them those same skill sets that someone who is going into the service would learn, but without having that type of commitment and getting them on track to possibly take on a leadership role at the next level, like college, you know, becoming an RA or, you know, leading some sort of student organization. So ROTC does an incredible job, obviously, of a specific branch of leadership in a high school, providing that the same as uh, student council would from a government uh, political type of standpoint in a school acting as, you know, the voice and that's, you know, where peer again comes in as the third wing. It's a mixture of both of those because you'd have students from both, but ultimately you also focus on more of the team and relationship building and showing them how to branch that out again through the middle and elementary school levels as well as the community. And if you have those three working in a district, you can, you, you can compete with any district in the world, in my opinion. That sounds like a wonderful program, and I'm, I'm curious if there is a teacher or educator or school leader listening to this podcast who doesn't have a Jamie Brown working in their district, mm-hmm. how do they even get started with something like that or even starting the conversation? Sure. So to start the conversation, that's a great question because, you know, a lot of places, a lot of districts are there. You know, I was there at one point, and I think it's the conversation needs to begin with. And, it, and I think it already does begin before you even get to the question of should we start this type of program or think about implementing it. I think it begins when you hear leadership, the teachers, students, parents, the community, you know, asking what's wrong with our culture and climate. You know, if there's complacency in 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 the learning space, if you know, it's the same old, uh, we've always done it this way and there hasn't been anything new and it's the same group of four or five people leading the charge for any type of initiative that needs to get done. If no new ideas are coming and it's just, it almost, you could feel the complacency and feel stagnant existing in your district and people are talking about it. I think that's, that's how you get started in kind of recognizing that and acknowledging, okay, we got, we need to, to be proactive and then step two would be to just see who in your building would be willing to take on the first step of building, you know, ultimately I always call it building the army, but you know, getting people on the bus and it doesn't have to be a, a massive group. It could be two people in a building 
again, probably high school level two go-getters. And those are pretty easy to find right out of the bat. You know, you're looking at like your student uh, council advisor, maybe your NHS advisor, someone who's very proactive in, in giving back their time and volunteerism. And then two students. But the key with the student piece, so it doesn't fall apart initially, is to not jump and run to like student president, you know, or NHS president, not that they're not capable, but they all have so much on their plate already. You want to find somebody, I was calling those like number two, three, four, five slots in a student organization already that loves to be involved, but it's not taking on like that presidential role where they have so much responsibility, but would love an opportunity and start small. It's just, it's, it's, it all starts with an honest conversation. Once you commit and say, all right, again, hypothetically, Jamie, we want to bring you in. We want to start a peer leadership program in our school. We have no idea how my first conversation with every school, every district is an honest, candid, completely transparent one of like, what's not working. And that's where you got to start the baseline data. That makes sense. And, and I, I like that we just start with, you know, what's the deficit? What do we, what needs do we need to fill here? And you were talking about students who, you know, not everyone's going to be the class president. Not everyone's going to be, you know, the top, the top dog in the leadership mm-hmm. pyramid. But I'm thinking about, so Star and I, right before we hit record, we were chit-chatting about students who were more introverted and, and some who are more extroverted. And whenever we talk about leadership or when I'm trying to encourage students to, you know, do you want to sign up for student council or do you want to get involved in something like that? Because we want them to take the initiative and want them to serve their school and their community. But do you have any advice for what educators can do for those kids who lean more toward introversion and how we can support them and their thoughts um, and their leadership that they have within them? 100%. And that's, that's where I spend a lot of my time when I do work with schools who initially will tell me, uh, Jamie, we already have student council. We already have JRTC, or they may even already have a peer program and say like, we're good, you know? And I always say that leads to the introverted student getting an opportunity. You know, we train teachers, we not only offer and suggest, but almost demand, you know, professional development on a yearly basis for the educators in the building. Why don't we do the same for the students? You know, just because we have a student council, just because we have maybe even a peer program, why aren't we ever looking to improve those programs? Students, yes, they have the potential to be leaders. And I used to say this about my best, best peer leader that would graduate every single year. They had the potential to become a leader, but they still needed to be trained. And that's why, you know, I advocated for it to be a program that they took for 180 days. So for that introvert, what I love is if you have student council, if you have interact key clubs, JRTCs, or you're looking to start a new club, like even just a peer club, create opportunities within what you already have where the introvert can feel worth and value because I think what you see especially again you and I are both high school level you see it all the time is that when you do student council you get your executive board and then it's kind of like if we pay our dues we can all be on student council so I can have 250 members and it's not it's not logical to think that all 250 members are going to contribute and a lot of kids who are introverted there might be 10 of them in that group who would be like man I need someone to push me to do something, but 
you know, there's those introverts who'll say, I'll do whatever you need to want me to paint a poster. Yeah, but I just need you to tell me to do it because I won't ask you. That's where empowering the students to learn about their leaders in their group to know that answer and empower them to be a part of it. I know that doesn't make sense, probably how I'm explaining it, but my whole thesis of 20 years of running a peer program, the whole point of it was to develop student leaders to find that answer that you just asked me in terms of that question, for them to know one another well enough and have the leadership skills to motivate and empower, in this case, an introverted potential leader in the group to partake in something where they could shine. And that's how I ran my whole program. Anytime we did an assembly, anytime we did a, a service learning project, my kids had to develop the idea. They had to bring it to fruition to where the principal has to sign on the dotted line, either yes or no. And then they had to make it happen. And if kids weren't pulling their weight or if there were kids who they thought could contribute, but again, like an introverted student where they're like, oh, this is a great kid, B, you know, I'm telling you, like Jamie would do something. He's just super quiet. My answer would be to them, okay, go find out how to motivate them. Find an opportunity in the next project that you're doing or create a project where you think they could have an opportunity to shine and not have to step so far out of their comfort zone the first time. So the second time, they'll have enough trust in their leadership that they can do the same for someone else and take on a bigger role. And then ultimately, it scaffolds into you know, six months from now, they look back at themselves and say, oh my gosh, look at the skill set that I've developed. And they go from being introverted to some become great public speakers, you know, and stuff like that. And it's, it's knowing your team, knowing the leaders and the leadership skills that you have in your group or your club and divvying them up and from jump, knowing your, you know, just like grouping in a classroom with students, knowing what you got and creating an opportunity for those groups, at least in the first project or two or first leadership opportunities to set them up for the ability to be successful. So even if Jamie's the public speaker and goes into the assembly and goes to the underclassmen and runs a pink out, you know, hype tailgate before a football game, Johnny, who's introverted but still wants to be a leader in student council, maybe he helped, again, make the posters and hand out the flyers in the, in the mailroom so at least he contributes as opposed to saying, well, he pays his dues, he gets to put student council on his resume, so whatever, we're not going to even bother because I know Jamie and, you know, uh, Star can do it themselves and let them just do everything. And that's where leadership programs from adult standpoint and student leadership groups in a school fall apart because we just rely so heavily on the same two or three people and it's easy to do because you know it'll get done but that's how those programs fall apart and become stagnant there's so much of what you just said jamie that resonates for me um back to the service learning stuff which you know we did in my old school and some of this other stuff at the very end too just about how we rely on I call them the assertive folks, the competent folks who like mm -hmm. with kids, you all have two or three of them in the classroom whose hand goes up first whenever there's an opportunity or teachers, um, myself included, who are the ones that the administrators end up 
I don't want to say abusing, but definitely sometimes taking mm-hmm. advantage of, you know, like taking advantage of um, a person's ability or non-ability to say no um, in certain situations. And there's so much value to spreading around um, opportunities to everyone in an organization because you don't know what someone has to offer until you give them the opportunity to show you. 100. And I, and I think for those leaders, whether it's an adult or a student, like you're talking about, you know, where you know they won't say no and you know they'll get it done. The way I combated that, and it took me years to figure it out, you know, because we all do it, especially like as the pandemic did, it was just very easy to call the same three people remotely and say, get this done or whatever, was I found that uh, a leadership tip, and this is something for anyone who's listening, if you have that student who's always the alpha, always has to lead every meeting and, you know, has a very tough time just saying, not saying, just give it to me, I'll do it. For a teacher, the same thing is to make part of the stipulation every single time you're in that spot, again, whether it's an adult or a student leader, that, okay, yeah, no problem. I'm going to trust you. I know you're going to get it done, but I need you to get three other people to be a part of you getting it done. Don't give them any other direction. Make them figure out what that means. And they will start to see, and I don't mean this to be a mean thing, but it's just a reality check for the greatest of leaders. We usually have one or two powerful leadership skills, and then there's one or two that we ignore, but we know are there. And typically for that alpha, it's I have a hard time taking a back seat and letting somebody else shine, step up, you know, take take the glory, so to speak, and being a number two. And, you know, again, to get back, you know, how would you, how would you help a, a school with an introverted type of student? That's a great way to do it in a, in a, in a positive way, in a proactive way where you're not, you know, lessening or disheartening the number one student leader. And, you know, again, like a student council president or, you know, that one teacher who does everything for you, but showing them, I think if they can read between the lines, like, all right, let me bring some more people again on that bus to ultimately build the army towards building a positive culture. Because eventually that kid graduates, eventually that teacher retires, and then what do you do? <laughs> you know what I mean? So you don't want to be in a situation where you've got a, a positive climate that's been built, revitalized, everything's going great, and all of a sudden that core group of three people, they all leave at the same time. And you're like, oh crap, now we got to start over. And you've trained nobody or motivated nobody from a student or an adult uh, standpoint to, you know, take over and, and drive the bus. And that all makes so much sense. And to that end, if you could shout out people you've worked with who you think do that really well, we'd love to give them some credit and get their names out there. 100%. It has to start with uh, Vinny Sasso is the principal of Oldbridge High School in New Jersey. That's where I came from. Sally Fazio, Rich Maserick. Jim Oliveri, those were all my administrators, my mentors, my best, best buddies, Scott Beverly, who is culture and climate king at Albridge, and Bob Waite is one of the best SAC counselors when you talk about, you know, really um, fighting for the comeback kids. That group right there, that school district uh, run by Mr. Citadino, superintendent, and Dr. Hoper, the assistant super, they need to be... Um, they need to be on the map for sure because they are the blueprint for taking a school that's almost 4,000 right outside of New York City 20 years ago that was not failing but a tough school, just run of the mill. We, you know, through our 
focused on culture and climate student leadership just became a national high school, national school district, the character through character.org when it was all over, when we were all kind of, you know, moving on to different parts. So those, those guys are total rock stars. There's so many, I mean, the people I talked to today, like you said, Darren Peppard, you know, Brandon, Brandon, Dr. Brandon Beck, these guys, Stan Tall, Steve, Justin's Renaissance crew, John Norland from Character Strong. There's so many people I look up to uh, on a daily basis. Tom Murray, Dave Burgess, those guys. I just try to learn from everybody. You know, all you guys on social, just crushing it. I just, for me, that that is the coolest thing about trying to be in this space uh, and, you know, build my own brand outside of what I'm doing. You know, my own high school is an AP and just learning from all y'all and what you bring to the table. Every single one of you guys I talk to teach me something different and, you know, again, to me, that that's my advice to all the students if they hear this podcast and all the student leaders and, and adult leaders is always be humble. Never think you've learned it all. Keep learning every day. That is, you know, every podcast, listen to it, follow people on social and just just get better 1% every single day and you'll be a rock star. Thank you so much, Jamie. I, I think that our listeners are going to benefit so much from learning about your experience and what you've done for your schools and your students. We really appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. I'm totally blessed. I know you guys probably have a million requests and for me to be a part of this is just, it's very humbling and I appreciate y'all. Thank you for learning with us today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you'd like any additional information from the show, check out the show notes. Learn more about Mastery Portfolio and how we support schools at masteryportfolio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mastery for All and on LinkedIn on the Mastery Portfolio page. And we'd love your feedback. Please write a review on your favorite podcasting app.